who here remembers their very first field trip to a zoo? Show of hands? Just kidding, I can't actually see your hands, but I'll trust that plenty of you are raising them right now, even if it's just in your mind. Chances are when you were a little kid and maybe even now, the zoo was a magical place. Some kids have apparently thought elephants were mythological creatures before seeing them up close. While reading about these animals and seeing videos of them can be informative, there's nothing quite like seeing a tiger, a penguin, a lion, or a polar bear up close and personal, as long as you don't get too close. Plus, while we know that animals like these shouldn't be kept in tiny metal cages, zoos have come a long way, right? There are some beautiful ones out there, and some of the animals are kept in acres of space, giving them plenty of room to run around, play, roam, grow, whatever their heart desires, really. But maybe despite this, you've still questioned their ethics. Is it really okay to keep these animals as a form of entertainment when they belong in the wild? Thankfully, that's not always the case. You can enjoy your zoo visits guilt-free knowing that modern ones are working to help conservation efforts. While many of these animals and natural habitats are being wiped out, whether due to hunting, land development, or deforestation, zoos are here to step in and lend a helping hand keeping these animals from becoming completely extinct. This may not help the root cause, though scaling back on land development and contributing to global warming is a totally separate issue, but zoos are meant to be a way to keep these animals alive and to educate the public. That's the argument that supporters give to critics, and they're not entirely wrong, not by any means. There are some fantastic zoos out there that do exactly this. They genuinely want what's best for the animals in their care, and some are famous for their conservation work, even being managed by the Wildlife Conservation Society itself. On the surface, this modern zoo might have a wonderful impact on future generations too, as studies have shown that, quote, those who reported a sense of connection to the animals at the zoo also correlated positively with general environmental concern. And that's amazing. They help conservation efforts and endangered species. So, Thank you all for coming, nothing to see here. Except let's read onward a bit to the next line. Quote, on the other hand, the researchers reported, there were no significant differences in survey responses before entering an exhibit compared to those obtained as visitors were exiting. Okay, so maybe people aren't as inspired to change the world as we thought because they visited a zoo. But what about the animals? Are they being rescued? Aren't they being helped? Well, as you've probably guessed, this topic isn't nearly as black and white as it might seem. And while good zoos do exist, many of them may cause far more harm than help. So let's talk about it. I'm the Illuminati and this is The Corporate Casket. Bears, kangaroos, lions, kept in cages and fenced enclosures. Over 100 exotic animals. He's worried about how animals like his two infant milk A year-long investigation by a team of British and Chinese campaigners has revealed the cruel treatment of animals is common in China's zoos and safari parks. The Animals Asia Foundation documented live animal performances and abusive training methods. So let me start off by saying that if animal abuse is particularly upsetting for you, then you may want to skip this episode in its entirety because we're going to jump right into this and talk about some of the most common arguments as to why zookeeping can be harmful before we discuss the broken system around it. So first, I wanna discuss the obvious clear forms of abuse around keeping animals like this. 
While there are zoos out there that truly care about their animals, when basic needs aren't met, these wild animals suffer drastically. Sure, some of us may be homebodies and joke that we'd love to stay at home all day, every day, but what about staying in a closet? What about when you're hardwired to travel in the wild and hunt for prey and you can't do that? Researchers found that, quote, the time devoted to pacing by a species in captivity is best predicted by the daily distances traveled in nature by the wild specimens. In other words, if an animal is meant to travel 10 miles every single night, then they'll pace roughly 10 miles worth of steps in their enclosure. And imagine having to do that in your bedroom. Wouldn't that drive you a little bit mad? As the New York Times puts it, it's like these wild animals have a Fitbit in their brains. So small cages aren't just harmful because it's not as comfortable. They're harmful because it's absolute mental torture. Secondly, this mental torment has some clear cut consequences. Captive animals may self-mutilate, develop tics, pace, display compulsive behaviors, pull out their own hair, you name it. Elephants, for example, are meant to walk 50 miles a day. Even if you give them what seems like a lot of space, so many of them develop joint problems and arthritis or die young in zoos. While the argument could be made that a zoo can easily give a chimpanzee enough space, we just can't do that for elephants. I mean, for God's sake, did you know that hamsters, tiny little fluff balls, can run about five miles or more every night in the wild? And yeah, that's why you absolutely need a hamster wheel if you're a hamster owner. Let me go off on a small tangent here, but just for comparison's sake. To keep a tiny little rodent happy, experts recommend that you have a minimum of a 40 gallon cage, eight to 10 inches of bedding, and nine to 12 inches wheel, depending on the breed. And that's just to keep a tiny little hamster happy. And yet there are more and more owners out there doing that research and willing to turn half their room into a hamster terrarium just to keep their fluff ball content. I mentioned on Twitter recently that I actually used to do fish keeping. I used to do only freshwater and I was thinking about going back into doing fish keeping again and I've never done a salt aquarium before. So I was trying to do my research into it as well. And I'm still months away from maybe doing any fish keeping whatsoever. But I remember even with freshwater keeping, there are so many people who do not care about the size of the tank they put their fish in. And I'm not just talking about betta fish, though that is just horrific. And I could talk about the mistreatment of betta fish for literally ever and a half. But the point is there are people who are interested in fish keeping, animal conservation, just caring for pets in general that understand that there are certain requirements, not just in the time you dedicate to your pet and cleaning and all of that, but also to how their enclosure is set up, how they're kept, how they're entertained, what kind of exercise they receive. So. If owners of pets can do that domestically, why can't zoos? How come zoos, which should literally be the pinnacle of advocating for animal welfare, don't do the same amount of research and work into helping these animals that may have far greater complicated needs? Well, it's the same argument we've seen repeated endlessly when discussing orcas at SeaWorld. Some animals just aren't meant for captivity. Thankfully, there are some zoos that agree with this and they've closed down elephant exhibits. Elephants aren't the only ones displaying these stressful behaviors. What about that hair pulling out and endless pacing? How come if you go to a zoo, you don't see that? Well, it might be because the animals are just drugged. And yeah, you heard me right. Chimps have been given antidepressants to control aggression at the Los Angeles Zoo. A polar bear at Central Park Zoo was given Prozac to stop him from swimming laps. And the Toledo Zoo has given the zebras and wildebeest antipsychotics to keep them calm. I mean, it just sounds like a horrible nursery rhyme gone wrong, doesn't it? Like instead of if you give a mouse a cookie, it's if you give a polar bear a Prozac, it's a pretty grim, disturbing picture. 
And this is only the tip of the iceberg. Not that there are any actual icebergs for these Prozac-ridden polar bears to enjoy, but you get my point. I want to stress that there are ecotariums that house injured animals who simply couldn't survive in the wild and try to give them as good a life as they possibly can. And without these facilities that strive to educate the public, yes, some of these animals would die, starve, or be otherwise unable to thrive in their natural habitat. Take for example, a great horned owl with head trauma or a golden eagle that's unable to fly. But when you're taking in gorillas, elephants, lions, tigers, bears, oh my, these zoos don't seem to be giving them the best habitat possible. It's just a poor substitution for what they truly need. And this is why so many people argue that zoos are inherently abusive, that the concept alone can't work except in very rare cases. And honestly, I can see the point. It's not all that hard to see why someone would feel this way. But what about the aspects of zookeeping beyond the enclosures? How are these animals actually treated? In 2019, National Geographic published an article that revealed how hundreds of zoos had been accused of mistreating the animals in their care. Some were supposedly gold star zoos too, or ones that you would assume would know better. All of this was documented in a report from WAP. No, not that WAP, but the World Animal Protection. Some of the things detailed in their report were things that would cause the animals stress, like visitors being permitted to stroke and cuddle large cats, surf on the backs of dolphins, and watch elephants paint with their trunks. About 43% of the facilities detailed in their report, almost half, allowed petting and about a third offered walking and swimming through an enclosure and or wildlife performances. About a fourth or 23% had hand feeding experiences too. The thing that's important to remember here is that these animals are not domesticated. It's taken thousands upon thousands of years for dogs to become domesticated and enjoy human interaction. Whereas these lions or elephants aren't just giant dogs, even if Disney movies might make it seem that way. And I swear, every animal cartoon basically ends up like a dog in kids' movies, but that's just not how the world works. What if he's on our side? You know, having a lion around might not be such a bad idea. So we're keeping him? <laughs> of course. Who's the brain? Nancy Blaney, director of government affairs for the Animal Welfare Institute states, quote, some facilities just kind of bill this as wildlife tourism, and it's really nothing of the sort. Wildlife tourism is the kind of thing where you go and see wildlife in their own environments. Not where you go and get to take a picture with the tiger, or you get to interact with a monkey that's dressed up in street clothes, or kissing an orangutan, or something like that. That is not wildlife tourism, that's exploitation. Wildlife tourism is a whole other dark, disturbing world. Some elephants will spend most of their lives chained up in a stall painting for tourists. Yes, and they can use their trunks like Amazonian sloths taken illegally from the jungle will often die within weeks, but those that survive make for great selfies and photo shoots. And that's a whole other fucked up world, but it's not really all that different from zoos, just the flip side of the same coin. After all, these animals are not domesticated to be around people, but broken to be tame, to be afraid, to behave. Those are two very different things. But you might be thinking, how are these the better zoos, the gold star ones? Well, as noted in the report, these zoos were associated with WAZA, the World Association of Zoos and Aquariums. As National Geographic explains, WAZA was founded in 1935 and they were meant to promote the message of modern zoos, conservation and animal welfare. Because nothing says for the good of animals like riding on dolphins, I guess. 
Now, there is an important distinction to make here. Waza doesn't require accreditation and basically just tells zoos to pay a fee, police themselves, and find accreditation elsewhere. I know I threw quite a few acronyms at you, so just to reiterate, WAP is a nonprofit that has exposed bad behaviors from zoos associated with WAZA, a member organization that supposedly promotes the humane treatment of animals. AZA, A-Z-A, which is the same thing as WAZA without the W, does require accreditation. So there has been a lot of finger pointing among these organizations, with WAZA saying that WAP isn't actually reputable. Even if that's the case, Waza is supposed to be this beacon of animal welfare. And hearing that the vast majority of their zoos promote potentially dangerous human-animal interaction is pretty damn concerning. But okay, maybe Waza has its issues, but Aza must be amazing, right? After all, they require accreditation, so surely at least someone is looking after these zoos and assuring animals are treated well. No, that's not what's happening at all. In fact, things are actually about to get a lot darker. Now, just up front and center, fuck the AZA. They're massive, hypocritical piles of shit. That's my initial thought after researching them for about two seconds, and I stand by that statement now when I've conclusively found what I needed to find. First and foremost, they claim to have all of these types of reintroduction programs. On their website, you can easily find information about how, thanks to the amazing and wonderful AZA, black-footed ferrets thrived and were reintroduced into their historic range after their numbers had began dwindling. Or you might learn that in the 1960s, the red wolf population plummeted due to intensive predator control programs and loss of habitat. But never fear, the AZA is here, and they founded a successful breeding program to keep these red wolves from dying out completely. Though strangely, if you dig a little bit deeper, you may learn that the red wolf population hasn't exactly changed much. Sure, they're carefully bred, but they haven't reintroduced them. When will that day come? Who actually knows? If you save something from extinction, is it really all that impressive when you don't actually release them and put them back into nature? I don't know. But anyway, back to the AZA website. Similar stories about their reintroduction programs can be found about the Carner Blue Butterfly, the Oregon Spotted Frog, the Wyoming Toad, and the California Condors. Yes, the AZA is amazing. All right except for one little detail their website doesn't mention. For all the animals they save, they also kill thousands more in Europe. The European branch, the EAZA or the EAZA, I'm not sure, they euthanize animals in their zoos because of surplus. They claim that it's not more than 200 per year, but the EAZA director has estimated that number between three to 5,000. And look, I may understand that some animals may need to be euthanized if they're unhealthy or if they have an incurable disease or illness, but this is not what's happening here. To reiterate, it's because of surplus. Thousands of animals are being culled for seemingly no other reason than oopsie whoopsies, we have too many giraffes that we don't know what to do with right now. When revenue went down because of the pandemic, one zoo in Northern Germany announced an emergency plan to even feed some animals to other animals, compressing the food chain like an accordion until the worst case scenario, only Vitus, a polar bear, would be left standing. So much for animal welfare and modern zoos being all about conservation then, right? When times are tight, the emergency plan becomes feed the animals to each other. And let's be real here for a minute, zoos are a business and businesses put profits over people and animals all the fucking time. In this case, these businesses put profits over animals, 
no matter what they preach when times are good. And yes, it does get even worse than this horror story. Apparently, when zoos can't find homes for their animals, not only do they dispose of them, but just treat them like garbage too. One zoo in Denmark publicly dissected a lion in front of an audience, which yes, included children. Another Danish zoo killed a two-year-old giraffe to reduce the risk of inbreeding. They dissected him and then fed him to lions. It's not as if we don't know this either. Worldwide outrage has been sparked when this happens and it always makes headlines. People have been justifiably horrified that zoos have effectively bred these animals only for them to be used for profit and then end up as meat. The zoo's director where this giraffe was killed was even quoted as saying, "'A giraffe is not a pet. It's not like a dog or cat that becomes part of the family. It's a wild animal.'" It's a very cold and callous statement when we're taught that these zoos are supposed to care about the animals they look after. Like they bred this giraffe, then killed him at two years old and then fed him to big cats there. You bred lion meat. Other zoos even offered to take the young giraffe off their hands, by the way, to alleviate their concern, but the zoo chose not to listen. They just ignored it and said, hmm, I see you're willing to take this giraffe, but we're gonna feed it to the animals anyway. The Copenhagen Zoo would rather pay a bit less money for their lion feed that week, I guess, because that was clearly the priority. The fact is that while these cases seem far and few between, like something that would only happen at the worst zoos on earth, killing surplus animals is allowed by AZA policies. The president of the association told Emma Maris at the New York Times that these tactics are rarely employed, and yet the statements from zoos themselves argue against that. They're probably more common than you think, sadly. And I find it really difficult to say that zoos are still worthwhile because they help endangered species. That still doesn't make it okay to kill the surplus animals so nonchalantly, does it? And maybe, just maybe here, I could be more forgiving if these zoos put their money where their mouth was and truly put all their support into helping animals. But that isn't even the case either. AZA facilities have reported spending about $231 million on conservation projects each year. Whereas in 2008, for example, they spent almost $5 billion on operations and construction. Quote, a 2018 analysis of the scientific papers produced by association members between 1993 and 2013 showed that just about 7% of them annually were classified as being about biodiversity conservation. In my opinion, which is based on facts and research on what I've looked at, just saying, the AZA doesn't give that much of a shit about the zoos they accredit and the conservation of wildlife. Their accreditation is supposed to put a golden stamp on zoos that participate in said conservation, but their standards are developed by members of the zoo community. So critics say it's more of a quote, assurance of non-awfulness than a mark of excellence. In other words, it's just not nearly as meaningful as you'd hope for. And yet this is one of the best standards we have. With this in mind, what other alternatives do we actually have? Can zoos be ethical at all? Or is there another choice we just aren't seeing? The depressing truth about the situation is that modern zoos may not be worth the moral cost. This is the headline that Emma Maris, an environmental writer, presented in her New York Times article. And unless the standards around zoos and their conservation work drastically improves, I'm inclined to agree. While I know that we'd really, really, really like to think that modern zoos with their focus on being humane and educating the public have far surpassed old timey and abusive zoos, we're just not nearly as far along as you might think. The first zoos were pretty much just metal bars and Spartan cages. And it wasn't until around 1907 that an exotic animal importer changed the game by using rock walls and moats. 
ABC writes that during the 18th and 19th centuries, these royal collections of animals were called menageries and open to the public. They weren't even truly known as zoos yet. But when they did become zoos, they still weren't concerned with animal welfare, not bothering to learn about their biology, diets, or keeping the animals alive all that long either. It wasn't until relatively recently, and I'm talking the 1990s, that environmental enrichment even became a thing for the animals, like spreading seeds in the grass for primates to pick through. So let me ask you this, does this make zoos better or worse than the 1800s? Back then, we didn't know much about animals and their habitats. Now, we've studied them far more extensively, and in many cases, we're still causing them stress, harm, or not meeting their needs. Does making a prettier, natural environment make up for the abuse that so many animals face? Yes, a naturalistic cage is most certainly nicer looking than a steel barred one, but let's be real, it's still a cage. Saying you care about conservation is great, but it's only flowery words until organizations like the ASA start putting their money where their mouth is. If anything, I think that in some ways we're actually worse off now than we were in the 1800s because it's harder to condemn people that at least outwardly seem to care about their animals. The average person may see the ASA's promises about research, humane treatment, and reintroduction and not bat an eye, whereas they're not really seeing the full picture in the first place. The Guardian has reported that zoos in Australia have been reinvented and gone from cage to conservation too, but the actual core purpose of zoos hasn't really changed much. While there are a few that do have a positive impact, they remain very few and far between. In order to make money, zoos' priorities often remains with this, entertainment, not the animals. So let me reiterate, not every single zoo is this way. There are zoos out there that are renowned for conservation efforts. However, it can be very difficult to sort the good from the bad. After all, the word conservation itself has become something of a buzzword. And unless you're looking at their budget, their rehabilitation and things of that nature, it's really hard to know how helpful a zoo actually is. WAP argues that even the most progressive zoos out there, as helpful as they claim to be, only keep about 3.5% of the total number of animal species listed by the IUCN Red List of Threatened Species. In other words, even the best of zoos are only helping a teeny tiny fraction of the animals that actually need it. Humans are doing so much damage that in my opinion, zoos just won't be able to keep up, especially when so many of them care more about entertainment and exploitation than conservation efforts. Yes, some zoos do help, but is it enough to actually make a dent? Personally, I don't think so. And if we're looking at raw numbers and data here, zoos in general seem to do more harm than help in the long run. How do we enjoy wild animals then? What's the right way to educate? Obviously, the answer is subjective, but WAP does have some thoughts on it. One of their articles suggests true sanctuaries, like the Ecotarium example I talked about earlier. Genuine animal sanctuaries only take in animals that can't safely be returned to the wild and they don't exhibit their animals. No, you won't be feeding them and you won't have direct contact with the animals, nor do they breed them unless it's for a legitimate reintroduction program but it's a far better way of keeping wildlife, well, wild. They aren't participating in the wildlife trade in the way that zoos are and lions and bears at the wild animal sanctuary in Colorado here. They have over 10,000 acres of rocks, grasses, and canyons to enjoy. Plus, if you don't live in a concrete jungle, it's not all that difficult to enjoy wildlife by just, you know, going out into the wild, planting a little garden, putting up a bird feeder, join a bird watching or naturalist club. I understand that zoos probably look like a great way for kids to learn about wild animals, but 
In so many cases, the message can easily become animals are here for our entertainment instead of education when the zoos themselves feel that way. You can volunteer at a rehabilitation center, check out a sanctuary, and a real one, not a roadside zoo that says they're a sanctuary. And please, unlike these zoos, put your money where your mouth is. If you really want to educate and help wild animals, go to the places that actually care about the wildlife. But with all of that being said, that is where I'm ending today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new here today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time today in order to learn about zoos and what's going on behind the scenes, even if it's just for a little bit of time today. I really do appreciate it. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.